asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. And today we're talking turning thousands into millions with Paul Merriman. Right, our guest today hails from the beautiful Bainbridge Island out there in Washington State, right, right across the water there from Seattle. Uh, and he is the, I would say, the foremost expert when it comes to DIY investing. Paul Merriman, he started Merriman Wealth Management back in the 80s. He did that for about 30 years. And then he founded the Merriman Financial Education Foundation a little over a decade ago. Of course, uh, the foundation, it's a nonprofit, and it's, and this is straight from the website, it's dedicated to providing comprehensive financial education to investors at all stages of life, which we're all about. Paul is the author of eight books. He's got a regular column over at MarketWatch. He also has his own podcast, Sound Investing, and we are honored and privileged to, to have him here on our podca- podcast today. Paul, thank you for uh, coming on to How to Money. Uh, it is wonderful to be here. It is, uh, it's a kick having a chance to reach out to what I expect are a lot of young investors, and that's, uh, that's the best. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, we definitely have a bunch of young investors here on the show. And I think we're going to get to why that's the case. <laughs> we're going to have, a, 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 hopefully, I think a lot of wisdom from from you, Paul, you've been doing it for so long, but your passion remains, which is something that that we that, that enthusiasm is contagious. The first question we ask anybody who comes on the podcast, though, is about what they like to splurge on. Matt and I, we splurge on craft beer. Uh, and mm. It's something that we spend quite a bit of money on. Some people would say too much while we're trying to be wise, save and invest for our future. Uh, So what is that for you? What do you like to splurge on that most people might think, oh, that's that's like a little abnormal or a little crazy? Well, I don't know that I'm abnormal or crazy, but there uh, is very little that I need or want or spend on myself. But I have found that if I spend whatever my wife needs or wants (laughs) That that pays the biggest dividends of all. So, uh, no, I splurge when my wife wants to travel or she wants to, whatever it is, I'm I'm ready to go. But for myself, I got this. I love what I'm doing in in helping uh, people take care of their investments. All right. So you've taken that happy wife, happy life to the extreme, yeah? That's right. Like you and said, sometimes Joel. it is the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not too often. But uh, like Joel said, yeah, a fount of wisdom that uh, who, right. who we're speaking with today. But Paul, let's dive into your history a little bit. Like, what is it that got you into the work of financial planning, investing? Yeah, I guess I'm curious why it is that you're so intent on helping specifically like the average investors, the everyday kind of folks. So yeah, can you talk about how you got into it initially and then why it is that you took the approach that you're now taking? Well, I I kind of fell in love with the investment process itself at about age 19. Uh, And I I had no intentions of teaching anything because I didn't know anything, but I did (laughs) really appreciate it. And I thought it was very exciting. 
But it wasn't really until I was oh and I, oh and I was a stockbroker for a couple of years before okay. I discovered the the conflicts of interest that you have there uh, in, in order to help your clients. It's it's not an easy trip if you try to do what's in the interest only of your client. But then when I turned forty and I had enough, I thought to retire. I decided uh, I wanted to spend the rest of my life teaching people how uh, to invest and to be an investment advisor. Okay. And uh, and by the way, I was never a financial planner. That's a whole other commitment to helping people. My focus was first and foremost still is on the investment part uh, of that of, of that process. And when I started a, a, a very small investment advisory firm, and we had no money under management in the beginning, it took about a year to raise the first million dollars. And, uh, and I would help anybody. If you had $2,000, I was your guy. I, I would give you advice I because I was doing it for fun. Yes. And I gave free seminars, workshops, and if you would sit through a free three-hour or six-hour workshop, I would sit down, take a look at where you were in your life, tell you what you should do on your own. And if you didn't want to do it, felt it was too complex or emotional, we were willing to do it and do it for what we thought was a fair price. Greater and you were kind of like fire before it was cool then, I guess, Paul, right? Is that yeah, at age, the, at age yeah. 40, yeah. by the way? I, I did not. I did not know that. The term fire then. Uh, well, you know something that's interesting, because when I went into the industry in the mid-60s, th there were no financial planners that were on the street like today. There were people in the, in the brokerage industry where they were just really being paid for transactions. Mm -hmm. And if you really wanted to get financial planning, you, you had to have a lot of money and you'd go to a bank trust department, maybe. But, uh, of course, that has all developed today where there's uh, uh, everybody who's in the business is supposed to know taxes and investments and insurance and, and all of that. So it's a very different world today from when it was then. Yeah. And on that note of just kind of different world, I'm curious, you know, when you started in, in the industry, the, the, the like Vanguard index fund wasn't really well known or, or it hadn't even really been invented right was it, i mean when we're talking about when you got it so so a lot has changed in oh. the accessibility of investing for everyday investors there used to be kind of this shrouded in secrecy not to yeah. mention just obviously higher fees and all that kind of stuff but it, it was almost impossible for the average investor to figure out how to invest for their future and now uh yeah th there's some jargon and, and lingo and some things that people need to learn but it's it's a whole lot easier to self-educate well, and I think it's fair to say that compared to the 60s, when everything was in favor of the house instead of the, instead of the gamblers or the speculators or the investors, load funds, almost exclusively load funds, regulated commissions, uh, nobody knew what a small cap or a lot. I mean, we didn't think that way. It was the academic community that uh, really forced us into the kind of thinking uh, that we have today. But it has never, ever been as efficient today mm -hmm. for the first-time investor. Not even close. Yeah. It really, really, <laughs> you can invest like a millionaire when you've got $100. And that's, yeah. that's not just a cheap sales pitch. That's the truth. It's the truth because you're not selling anything, Paul. <laughs> you're, you're just, you truly are out there to help individuals. And yeah, what, you, what you're saying is true. But you still need the products. Yes. And right. that's that the beauty. I mean, the no-load funds, the index funds, the, the ETFs, uh, all of these things are, are a pathway to much higher returns. But what we've got to make sure is we, we don't get caught up in the sales pitch of the insurance industry or the brokerage industry, you really need if you want to if you want to hit the biggest home run, whatever that might be, you need to learn how to do it for yourself. Not because you need to be a genius, but because you don't want to pay the price that the Wall Street's going to charge you. It's yeah. yours. You can keep that extra profit, and it makes a huge difference. 
That's right. Yeah. And we are going to talk about how you can turn not just thousands into millions, but even a thousand dollars a year <laughs> into millions of dollars in retirement. But it's funny that you mentioned that you are not uh, like a personal finance guy quite as much because so like in your book, like we're talking millions, that's the title of it, your latest book. It is all about becoming a millionaire. But you don't start with investing. <laughs> like the first thing you mentioned in chapter one actually is about cutting spending, which is a little more personal finance Can you uh, just touch quickly on why it is that you started with that? Well, it's the foundation. If you, if you look at the process of investing, uh, just look at the math. So you start putting away, let's say the first year, you put away $1,000. Let's say the market's up 10%. So let's say the 1000 is 1100 You You can be happy that you have 1100 but the 1100 basically came from you. And if you the don't build that did, foundation, yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. And, and that's the way investing works. And after a while, in fact, we have great tables that show how this works. But after a while, all of a sudden, the money that you're putting in is small compared to what the portfolio is worth. And then you're on, in, in, in essence, to the next journey. And that is that, that leverage of, of compound return that uh, it just, it really boggles the mind to, to think that for a dollar a day over 65 years, that could become worth $2 million. Right, a dollar yeah. a day from birth, I'm talking now. That I think is is amazing, but it has to start with that first three hundred and sixty five dollars. So pregnant women should play this episode on their belly to help their (laughs) newborns get accustomed to these ideas, these concepts right now. Right. Uh, (laughs) I've always wanted my ideas in the bellies. of women. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So t- I'm qu- I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Paul. There was a uh, a Yale economist who came out with this term, consumption smoothing, basically saying that hey, there's no need to start in investing super young. And we know that yes, compounding returns. The earlier you start, the more that's going to build up. The more your money's going to be working um, on your behalf. But you're always going to make more money in the future. And you know what? You can increase the amount that you're investing later on in your 40s when you're more secure in your career. And uh, uh, to Matt and I, that feels like a, a behavioral miss. Maybe in, in a perfect economic cycle, it 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 would work out for people. But it's also not ideal. So. Talk to me about starting early and whether or not kind of that idea of taking on a little more debt when you're younger and investing less, if that makes sense or not. Well, it's not what it's not what I preach, because uh, my belief is, is that that first five years, assuming that you invested basically the same amount of money over a long period of time, that first five years can be worth 40 percent of what you have to live on by the time that, that, that you are 65 at retirement. And, and on top of that, when you're very young, you really can't afford to take more risk, smart risk, always smart risk, but more risk than when you get older. Mm-hmm. And so those early dollars, they are absolutely magic. And what if, what if you're fortunate enough to either have a parent, a grandparent, or a company that will match what you're putting in? And if you do, now you are showing this high responsibility in the eyes of the company or the parent or the grandparent, and they're willing to help you along. And boy, if you don't take advantage of that, uh, you are kissing. I mean, this is just talking about bending over and picking up money off the ground. <laughs> you can't pass it up. Yeah, and the, the folks who preach the message of that consumption smoothing, they're also counting on the best case scenario happening. And you can't always predict that. And you can, yes, like you that that's not always going to happen. As opposed to, and this is why I felt it was worth highlighting the fact that cutting back on your spending and cutting expenses is such a clutch move, is because that is something that you actually do have control over. That's something that is within your own sphere of influence, as opposed to investing. And there is a certain degree of luck that comes with investing, depending on when it is that you first started investing, what the market's doing then, or what the market's doing when you first retire. Uh, The sequence of returns risk. So you have all of these X factors, but the ability for you to sock money away is something that is completely within your control. Well, and if you happen to hit the home run, like 1995 to 1999 is your first five years, compound rate of return of the S&P 500 over 28% a year. If you started after that, 
And for the next 20 years, the compound rate of return was about 6%. Mm -hmm. Boy, I mean, there's you don't know the future and the sequence of returns, yeah. as you mentioned. That can be the luck that you need to be able to take advantage of. And I don't, I'm not suggesting, I'm sure you're not suggesting, that people not have enjoy their life. But every study shows that most people who pay themselves first, have the money go into the savings first, don't even miss it because they don't see it as part of what they have to live yep. on. But of course, the corporations want every bit that you get in their pocket, not on in, in yours. So you're fighting an uphill battle to say, no, I want to save for the future. Yeah, that's right. And okay, so talk to me about about how important fees are. There was a comment in the How to Money Facebook group recently, and they said, "Oh, half a percent on that fund. That's that's not that big of a deal, right?" Uh, but you would beg to differ, Paul, and you would say Boy. half a percent is going to radically reduce the amount of money you have to spend in the future. And let me give you the numbers. Follow the math. Six thousand dollars a year for forty years. Two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Then you go into retirement, take money out, and then after 30 years, you die. Okay, what do you leave and what did you spend? The difference between 8 and 8.5% 8 during the accumulation period and 6 and 6.5% 6 during the distribution period, that's the half a percent you're talking about, mm -hmm. is $1.5 million. Oh yeah. my goodness, that's an entire retirement for somebody else. <laughs> it seems so small in the moment, right? Like the, oh, exactly. what's the difference between 0.05 and 0.5? But like that one tenth of a decimal place can be life-changing. Well, and, and people who are selling load products, they'll say you only have to pay once. I mean, this is not like this is going to impact you for a lifetime. That's totally false. A 5.75% commission load on a fund, on an equity fund, actually costs you about a half a percent a year in lower expenses over a lifetime. So, you know, they're, they're smarter than you are if you don't take the time to find these things out. But once you know them, you're going to be a defender of, of, of the family fortune here and, and just understand those little bits become fortunes later on. And just a second ago, you mentioned, basically, if we are to invest, to save and invest, uh, before that money even truly hits our spending accounts or our checking accounts, that you don't really even miss it. Talk to us a little bit about the Roth versus the traditional debate. Because you talk about the need to, to reduce and to minimize taxes. Um, yes, Just absolutely. curious to hear your take on, yeah, the Roth versus traditional, like whether or not you should pay tax now and then enjoy tax-free growth or, or vice versa. Well, my belief is having started in this industry and, and, and marginal tax rates, the first year that I got in the industry, 70%. Hmm. The year before, 90%. What we have no idea is what tax rates are going to be 30, 40, 50 years from now. My heart and my gut tell me they're going to be higher. At some point, we're going to have to pay the bills that we're, that mm -hmm. we're accruing. And, and at that point, they were paying the bills that were accruing, and people got along just fine. That, that's the part that's so fascinating to me is while the people didn't like it, they were living a pretty doggone good life. And how do we know that while we may have a relatively low tax rate now, that later on, if we put away money that cannot be uh, attached by the government and make it tax-free, that could be a bonanza. And then it has to do with what you leave others, because you can also make that Roth bonanza flow through to your heirs. And so, yes, you don't get the, 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 the refund. But let me tell you, I've talked to a lot of kids and I've said, hey, what do you do with that refund? Oh, we went on a trip or we went, <laughs> you know, we did something fun. There's nothing wrong with having fun, but I'm just saying that you just lost that money's tax-free growth for the rest of your life. But that's always this thing we have to decide. Do we, mm -hmm. What do we give up to have more later? As my friend Paul Hayes, there's a free book that we now offer uh, on our website called Spending Your Way to Wealth. And he reminds us, saving is actually spending for later. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Deferred consumption. I love what you said too about tax rates. I feel like that's really a really important consideration when we're talking about growing deficit. That's, that's what we think. Uh, yeah. And a growing national debt. <laughs> we that agree is, with you. That it's a really important thing to keep in mind as you know, whether you're putting in traditional versus versus Roth accounts. But we've got more questions we want to get to on you and including we want to talk about the, the two fund for life strategy. We want to talk about Great. simple ways to grow that wealth for, for your future. We'll get to some questions with Paul on that right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. We are back for the break, and we are again joined by Paul Merriman. We're discussing how you can turn thousands of dollars into millions of dollars. And Paul, I I guess we kind of talked more about the overall sort of philosophy, different approach. I guess we kind of dove into some of the specifics as well. But we're now going to talk about the actual investments, uh, the actual funds, like you said earlier, the products. Yeah, you set the table nicely. Now let's (laughs) dig in, right? (laughs) Exactly. The table has been set. You encourage folks to own stocks. But specifically to buy all of them. We see more videos floating around where there are supposed money influencers. They're just saying that only a a few stocks make up most of the gains of the overall stock market, So, which is actually true. Uh, So why not just buy those specific stocks? That's what we should be doing, right, Paul? uh, It's it's that easy, right? It is that that easy, but the outcome is not that easy because we had, when I was young, we had it in the early 70s, the Nifty 50. And these were the 50 companies that generally were, were were regarded as companies you could put aside and just leave that those certificates in the lockbox, the safety deposit box. And when you were ready to retire, just reach in, take a few shares, you know, and sell them as you go. Well, it turns out that owning all of the companies in the S&P 500 since 1972 produced a higher rate of return, not because some of these companies weren't good 
But believe it or not, when I mean, we look at uh, Eastman Kodak, you look at uh, Polaroid. In fact, GE, GE was considered a darling for a long, long time until it wasn't. So what the academics say that the more stocks you have in your portfolio, the higher the potential return, because people aren't very good. Even professional money managers aren't very good at picking the best stocks. But I want to hit on one thing and make it very clear, because we kind of went right over it and went from bonds to stocks. There are some, I don't know, 20 to 25% of millennials that do not want to go into the stock market because the stock market is risky. Hmm. Well, I mentioned that a half a percent equals over a million. The difference in the return of bonds over the last 95 years, I'm talking intermediate maturities, and the return of the stock market, the S&P 500, 5% for bonds, 10% for the S&P 500. That is 5%. That is 10, one half a percent. That means it is legitimately a $10 million decision to go to where you think the safety is. And yet, if you look at the average return of the S&P 500 for all the 40-year periods, the average is 11%. If you looked at the best, it was 12 and a half. If you looked at the worst, it was 8.9. So anybody who thinks that they're going to go into bonds and that's going to be the safe place to be, you are based on all history, leaving a bonanza on the table. But what you must do is you must understand the volatility that goes with that. And once you understand it, and are willing to live with it, I think you're on your way. But you need to go after that extra $10 million. Mm, yeah, I like that. And well, and the other thing that people are tempted to do right now is as yields have gone up on cash, people are saying, oh, I might just like uh, stick a little more in the high yield savings account, keep more cash in the bank. Well, what, what you're doing, you don't maybe don't even realize you're chasing returns. And the one of the biggest mistakes that investors make is chasing what's been doing well lately. As a matter of fact, it's kind of hard for people to believe, but those things that have been doing worse lately are apt to make more over the long term. And, and, and so that is a change of thinking, and it is one of the aspects of investing that makes it difficult, and that is that what is counterintuitive is normally the right thing to do. And, right. and I, I'm hoping that people will see a struggling. If we had a struggling stock market, that's not a time to be a concern. We're not talking about now. We're talking about many, many decades from now. Lower prices are good for young investors because you get to buy more shares. And that's a point of celebration, <laughs> not sadness and, 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 and fear. It's like yep. a favorite pair of shoes being 60% off. You'd rather buy them then than when they're full price. Exactly. Everyone's going for the doors when they're, when there's a, a massive sale and we fail to see the opportunity in front of us. So you've advocated actually for something called the ultimate buy and hold strategy, like for decades. But then meeting with Jack Bogle, uh, the founder of Vanguard, yeah. uh, that caused you to, to reconsider that a bit. Can you talk to us about the two funds for life strategy? Sure. And, and just to fill in the gap there, when I was an investment advisor, and in my own personal account with my wife, we have 10 different equity funds. It's hugely diversified, big, small, value, growth, REITs, emerging markets, all of that stuff. But when I met with, with, with the John Bogle, he really gave me a, a talking to. He, <laughs> he, he believes in all those things, too. Uh -huh. and there's, that's all that comes out of the academic community. That part uh, is, is not a, a big deal. What he says is a big deal is that you've got to give them an investment strategy that they, if, the, if it's for do-it-yourselfers, I'm not trying to, 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 to help advisors. I'm trying to help people who don't want advisors mm -hmm. or they want to be their own advisors. So he really motivated us to look more carefully, how could we produce the same kind of returns at about the same risk, but only hold two funds instead of 
10, or in some cases, three or four. But, but the bottom line is, is to make it simpler. And about a year before my meeting with Bogle, a fellow, Chris Pedersen, uh, and we're all volunteers, Chris volunteered to work with our foundation. And he came up with this strategy that I think is one of the most clever strategies I've ever seen, or portfolios, and that is to combine a target date fund, which is a wonderful way for people who don't want to fool around with their investments, don't want to worry, just want to put the hands, uh, the money in the hands of professionals and let them do it the way they think is best forever. Target date funds plus one other fund that has a history of making substantially higher returns with a small part of the portfolio. And those two funds together, they, they make it possible for somebody truly to be able to hit what I would call a home run in terms of long-term return. And that's, that second investment is what's called a small cap value fund. And they've been studied going back to 1928. Uh, they make a 3 4% better than the S&P 500 at more risk. I mean, it's, this, is, this is not a gimme. You're going to be taking more risk with that small part of your portfolio, but it's a very small part of your portfolio. I love the, the two funds because it, you're right, it is, it, it's really simple. It's the kind of behavioral thing that a lot of people can follow through. And it's like, oh, I just need to buy these two things. Great. Let, let me go on about my day. It's, it's kind of like when Matt and I, when we shop at Aldi and there's not 42 ketchups to choose from, there's one. And it, it just makes it a whole lot easier to, to, to not waste a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of money standing there staring at the ketchups, which is the kind of thing I would do at a normal grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> right? So, just, so behaviorally, yeah. it makes sense. That's actually kind of what the target date fund was designed for in and of itself was to be this one-stop shop for people. So why is it, in your estimation, that the target date fund isn't quite enough, isn't, isn't really cutting it for a whole lot of investors, including younger investors? And why is it that they need to add the small cap value exposure? Well, you used a magic word, and it was a magic word to, uh, to John Bogle, isn't quite enough. In fact, a target date fund by itself it's probably the best investment product that's ever been uh, created. And it will give you enough. The question becomes, is enough going to be enough? Or should we be trying to get what I would call more than enough? And the reason this is not about greed or you know wanting to be rich or anything, it's about helping you make a return that might make up for mistakes that happen along the way. Or maybe you don't get the best sequence of returns. You don't have the best luck. I believe that if most of us, our plans could somehow be reconstructed to get a slightly higher rate of return so that if we don't get that return that we want, that we'll get that return that we need. And if we fire too low, it may be something will happen in your life that will keep you from getting where you want to be. And let me tell you why I do believe a target date fund is enough. There was a study done by Wharton, and they did it in, in, in cooperation with Vanguard. They looked at 1.2 million accounts, retirement accounts, at, uh, at Vanguard. Some of them had no uh, target date funds. Some of them had all target date funds. And the studies were done, and the result is this. Those people, on average, who use target date funds were likely to get about 2.3% more return than those people who were doing it themselves. Huh. Because there are so many mistakes a well-meaning do-it-yourself investor can make. And most of those mistakes are driven by our emotions. And, and so the beauty of that target date fund, it just takes all of those emotions out of, of, of that process. But I still... If you have the stomach for it, I still think adding a little bit of small cap value, 
20%. I can make the case for 50%. Okay. But, but you don't have to go to 50. Uh, but, but even 10 or 20%, I think it's going to be a life changer, keeping in mind that nobody Absolutely nobody knows where this market's going to be 30 or 40 years from now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what, so on that note, what if you, what if you're like, okay, I'm a robot. If I think I can handle the volatility, like would somebody who believes that, who feels that way, how comfortable would you be with them going all in on small cap value? And, and by the way, small cap value, it's more volatile. Historically, it's been more volatile than the S&P 500. And with that volatility, you get higher returns than the S&P 500 as well. But are there folks out there who uh, you think should take this more aggressive strategy? So you got like an iron stomach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, my wife and I, every time we have a grandchild, they get a check. And that check is to underwrite their retirement savings for as long as it lasts in terms of, of going into either into a Roth IRA or a, a hopefully a Roth 401k. But what we have recommended to our kids to do with that money a, until it's time that those, those grandchildren qualify for a retirement account is to split it half in the S&P 500 and half in small cap value. Okay. Now, they're going to leave a lot of money on the table, but here's the problem. People get disappointed way more easily than we imagine. You said be a robot. Boy, I, I do think if you were a robot, uh, I would still probably, I would still probably okay. just to try to defend you emotionally, suggest uh -huh. half and half. All you right. get about 2% more than just the S&P 500 if you were 50-50. And by the way, the idea that it's more risky, a guy that I have the highest respect for, a guy named Ben Felix, he has some wonderful educational uh, YouTube pieces. He did a study recently. He went back to 1927, and he looked at all of the 10-year periods, every 120 consecutive months. How many of those 120-month periods did the S&P 500 lose money? 145 times. That, that's amazing. I had no idea it was that many times. And the average loss was 2.33%. Now, you're not, at first, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. But the academics have gone back and they dug out the returns of small cap value. In 108 of those 145 losing periods for the S&P 500, small cap value made money. And if you look at all 145 of those losing 120-month periods for the S&P 500, the average gain for small cap value was over 6.5%. So it isn't just that small cap value gives a better long-term return that we're looking at here, but it's also a hugely historically successful balancing kind of a uh, of a, that's what you're after. I mean, why do you have why do you have many stocks in a portfolio because you can't trust one? My, might you want some small and some value instead of having everything in large and, and, and mostly growth? Yes, you would because it's more diversification. And that's one of the reasons that I'm not worried about the long term. Sure, I'm worried about the short term always about the stock market. I'm 80 years old almost, so I don't want any long-term bear markets. <laughs> but again, if I were a young person, I would just put that worry out of your mind, do it 50-50, and, uh, and, and, and we actually will have tables up on our site within a couple of months looking at every year since 1928. All right. Well, talk to me. Talk to me about you just said about like the, you're not worried, right? About small cap value producing outsized returns for people who have more exposure to it over the decades. But I will say there have been a whole lot of hit pieces on small cap value recently in financial publications, in the Wall Street Journal, Market Watch, those kind of places, talking about how oh, small cap value it's been in a, it's been in a slump. Is it dead? Uh, so I guess my question for you is: It sounds like you still retain faith that more exposure to value stocks can help people outperform, even though we've had uh, more recent history where small cap value has underperformed. Yeah. Well, this is another part of the story that I will be telling next week, and, 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 and it shows 
there's a table called a telltale chart. The telltale chart compares the relative return to the S&P 500 going back to 1927. When that telltale chart is going down, it means that the S&P 500 was doing better. When it's going up, it means that small cap value is doing better. There were three periods that the small cap value underperformed the S&P 500 of 17 to, uh, to 19 years. That is the way it is. Hmm. And so right now we happen to be in one of those periods where uh, small cap value hasn't done it as well. The problem is we wait for something to get hot to get on yeah. board. <laughs> well, this goes back to what you're saying about chasing returns. Yeah, exactly. And I, if I told you there's a possibility that getting in at the peak could mean you wait 17 years to, in essence, break even. I don't. By the way, I don't mean that you won't have made money. I'm just saying that you would have been better off in the S&P right. 500. Right. But here's the end result. The end result over that 95 or so years is that the small cap value was worth 13 times what the S&P 500 was. Jeez. But you had to have a lot of patience or you needed to have time on your side. And here I am at 80 and I'm saying, I'm not sure I have that time. And my wife asked me, wait a minute, is this money for us or is it for our kids? Oh, yeah, she's right. It doesn't <laughs> matter that it doesn't do what I want it to right now. It doesn't matter I, for you. You know, I'm yeah. just being emotional. Gosh. This is making me possibly reevaluate what I've got going on, Paul, because I guess I've been, I'll be financially naked a little bit here, but all of my money that's invested in the market, so aside from real estate, it is in the S&P 500. And so if I'm looking ahead, I'm looking decades and decades down the road, if I am interested in incorporating some small cap value, how would I go about that? Would I just start buying up some of that and rather than VU? which is the uh, S&P 500 ETF. I'm going to make it easier, and I'm going to make it better than Vanguard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, when I say that, obviously, I'm not talking about the future. But based on everything we know, of what kind of small cap factors give the best return over the long term? It isn't a Vanguard fund, but it's a fund that's available at Vanguard on a commission-free basis. And Chris Pedersen... Uh, every two years, updates his list of best-in-class ETFs. And the one that has been at the top of the list is AVUV, the Avantis Small Cap Value Fund. And so you can compare it to VBR or VIOV or or uh, VB, a couple. Yeah, yeah, there's there's about three of them, I believe, that are ETFs at at Vanguard. Now it's not that it's better because these people are magic. It's better because, for example, VBR, the average size company is six billion dollars, more than twice the average size company in AVUV. Hmm. Plus, the companies in AVUV are higher quality, better earnings within the small cap value arena. So the question is, are you better than to go ahead and do that right now or do it over time? Well, here's the problem. If you do it over time on a dollar cost average basis, you could take the next 12 or 24 months to do that and everything would be going just fine. And then at the end of 24 months, uh, the VBR turns out to be the big performer for the next 10 years. A year or two years is a random event. This is so hard for people, I think, a lot of people to understand. If you base your decisions on even 10 years performance, what do you do with the S&P 500 after, after it loses 1% a year for 10 years? Why would you ever invest in that? Well, because over the long run, they'll tell you, it will do better than that. But it doesn't change the decision. Dollar cost average, go ahead and, and, and get it right right now. 
I would say go ahead and get it right. Or better yet, if you don't really trust that, take half your money and do it that way now and dollar cost average in the other half. All right. Yeah, no, well, I like it. Paul, we've got a few more questions we're going to get to. Actually, I've, I might have a, a, a little small one there about kids and investing. We've got a couple other questions to get to. We'll get to all of that right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back. We're still talking with Paul Merriman. We're talking about turning thousands into millions. And I love that we're kind of going into depth on the, the two funds for life approach. It's it's so good. And and I think it's it's helpful for people because it's it's simple, but it hopefully for most young folks who have a long timeline will accelerate your returns, meaning you've got more money in retirement. But Paul, you, you're talking about how a lot of the money that you've got invested is for kids, is potentially even for grandkids, which is awesome. A lot of folks who are nearing retirement age, that's money that they need to live on, right? And so uh, you talk about how the biggest risk in the the index fund only strategy is the ability to reduce risk in those later years. So, and that your two fund strategy creates a better glide path that makes it easier to start drawing down on those retirement funds. How How is that? Well, what happens in a target date fund is that the people who manage it they know when you want to retire if you're sitting in a 2065 target date fund. That's that's how they work. And so 
they are going to look not at you personally, but at people like you, and they're going to be conservative. Just got to understand that. This is, they're not going to take a lot of extra risk, but they are going to, they're going to manage the money very similar to how a pension fund would manage the money. And as you get closer to retirement, because it now, instead of needing to produce growth, also needs to produce income, they will be transitioning part of the portfolio to where you might be 40% in bonds or 50% in bonds. And that's what my wife and I were 50-50 stocks and bonds, because we don't want to take the risk of an all uh, equity portfolio uh, on the short term. So that's the beauty of a target date fund. Not only can you be 21 years old and start putting your $100 a, a month into this fund, but you can, when you retire, start taking money out of the same fund until you die. It's an amazing thing to be able to have, and you never have to make a decision except when you think you're going to retire. I love it. Okay, so, Paul, you mentioned how you've got grandkids, and you're basically, I think you said you're underwriting their retirement. You've, you, basically, they've, it's like seed money. <laughs> the head start. Essentially. Do you often think about that? Like, I, I, I guess I find myself wondering if money that is set aside not only for, for kids, but like you said, grandkids, where, man... That is going to be a substantial amount of money off in the future. Do you are you ever concerned that that legacy wealth that you're passing down that it'll undermine kids' ambition? But let me give you a really easy one that okay. is just it's, it's outrageous. A child is born, you give them the first year three hundred and sixty five dollars, and that is invested in small cap value if you wanted to, and in essence. That 365 is going to find its way into a Roth IRA as soon as possible. Now, if that $365 grows at 12%, uh, the compound rate of return of uh, the average 40-year period for small cap value, 16%, going back to 1928. That I don't think is going to happen again, but I will say that I think 12%, if the S&P 500 makes 10, is a legitimate return. If you get 12% and that money sits there for 70 years, don't ever add anything to it. Just get it into that Roth IRA. It would be worth about a million dollars. And <laughs> and, and if, it, if it had compounded at 10%, it would be worth about 488, okay? 488,000. Now, that's the income for when the child is 70. How about funding 71? Great. The, at their first birthday, you put in another 365. You mm -hmm. open a separate account that is meant to be the retirement at age 72. So by the time they're 18 or 21 years old, what you'd explain to the kid is that you've started this for them. This money is their, your gift to them. And I even recommend that you, like for this, this granddaughter that was just born for us, she is going to get a letter from us. She's going to get a video from us. She's going to get a podcast from us so that when she's 18, because we'll be gone more than likely, that she will know what was the dream that we had for her. This is not a get rich quick scheme. This is a get rich slowly and... If you did that for 18 years, you have, in essence, help fund ages 70 through 88 in retirement. No, I think that's great because I think what, what you're speaking to is the fact that not only are you helping with the seed money, but you're offering the education and the reason why you're doing it too, which I think helps complete the picture. And sometimes for, for some parents, it's all about like, it, it, that concept of generational wealth, I think can be a good one, but yeah. it can be taken too far. And so you, you have to think about how you're passing on the education. That's almost more important than the money. Oh yeah. But if you can pass on, you know, <laughs> some seed money early on too, that can be, that can be helpful. Uh, for sure, and make a big difference in their in their long term future. Paul, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the financial advice industry, and uh, you, like you've worked so hard for so many years to make this sort of investment advice 
easy for folks to understand and to implement. But you also talked earlier about how it, financial advisors are expected to do more. They they need to have specific like tax knowledge, and they they're there for behavioral help as yep. as well along the way. Yep. Do you feel like the value proposition of financial advisors has gone down in an era of DIY investing that is so cheap and simple to actually pull off? Well, my belief is that if a person can learn how to do this on their own. It is a two to three million dollar payoff. So having said that, I have been on a diet since the fifth grade. (laughs) I have lost thousands and thousands of pounds. (laughs) I know how to lose weight. And yet I am still at almost age 80, 30 pounds overweight. I have four stents. I have high blood pressure. I have high cholesterol. I have diabetes. I have every motivation to do this right. But I just love to eat (laughs) and to celebrate today. Now, I can't, I have never been able to put it on automatic. But I will tell you that to the extent that you can put it on automatic and just let it ride, The payoff is huge, but if you can't, if you're afraid to invest, a good advisor will do that for you. It doesn't mean they know the future any better than you do. They don't. They can't. They don't know anything about the future. They know a lot about the past. You know, we have over 200 tables of numbers that are trying to help people understand the past. But if you don't get it and you can't take it and it's just too much to ask, then you have somebody else do it. And having said that, my wife and I have an advisor. Now, part of it is for the other stuff that go beyond just the investment part. And I want to make sure that my wife, if I go first and she's a few years younger and I'm likely to, that she'll be taken care of. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to even think about my own money. We simply ask for a check the first of each year. That is a percentage of the money we have. Uh, if we if we typically try to give away 30% of it, uh, and it's real easy to give away 30% because our foundation needs lots of money. And so <laughs> I write a lot of checks. Uh, and by the way, Western Washington University will be announcing a program that we are underwriting that will give financial literacy required our about 40 hours of required classes before you can graduate from Western. And I think it is, uh, it's unusual. And, and we're not there to teach people how to buy stocks. We don't want them to learn how to buy stocks. We want them to be in index funds. We want them to understand budgeting. We want them to understand borrowing money. We want them to understand a 401k plan. We want to make sure they have the language so that they're not going to be over emotionally overwrought with having to face stuff they don't understand. They will understand the basics. And, uh, and so my hope is that we're going to help a lot of young people uh, do this better and that other universities will do what we're doing. That's great. I love it. Yeah, whether that's assistance with financial literacy and financial education, or like you were saying, when it comes to advisors, if you are not able to take that initial step to provide some sort of action, because it doesn't matter if you if your returns are less because you're paying a small fee to an advisor, if the alternative is that you're not going to save and invest at all. Right. <laughs> yes. So you kind of have to look at the whole picture, Paul. Your foundation does an excellent job at doing that. And Thank we really you. appreciate Thank you. you. You speaking with us today and uh, for folks who want to learn, I mean, like you said, you, you have an incredible resource yeah. uh, being your website, uh, some of the different tables and information that you have up there. Yeah. And I'm, and I, and I have to say that book, we're talking millions uh, where we have the free PDF the reason that PDF is free is because that way you can you can forward it to everybody that you know that might be helped by that book. Uh, sure, it'd be nice to have the royalties at, at Amazon, <laughs> but I'd much rather have somebody have that book and be able to share it with others. That is impressive. And your life's work, it 
it, it has helped so many people and it's going to help a lot of people today. So thank you so much thank for you. joining us, man. We really appreciate Good it. Good luck in your, in your venture. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you, Paul. Joel. You know, like there are multiple folks who say, oh, you guys are doing a great job. But I think when Paul says it, he really means it. <laughs> and it's because I think we do have such a similar mission and how it is that we're approaching not only personal finance, but in Paul's case, specifically investing. We're just not as just, smart as Paul. No, <laughs> no we're, uh, I was going to say maybe half as smart because we're basically half his age, but I, I, don't, I don't even know if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm going to cut straight to it. I think my big takeaway is that I am going to have to figure out how I'm going to start implementing some small cap into my investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to pull the switch and go 50-50 like he, like he has for his grandkids right now, half the S&P 500, half small cap, specifically uh, the one that he mentioned a, was AVUV. That's right. Uh, we got to figure out a better one. <laughs> AVUV? I don't know. It, it doesn't really flow off the tongue like FC Rocks right, or, right. or VU, even VU. But I, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how it is I'm going to start implementing that. But man, I am most definitely going to be taking another look because... Yeah, nobody knows the future. And if you think, oh, well, yeah, small cap value is dead, you're guessing. But what is fact is looking at history, looking at the past, and knowing what it is, knowing the performance of something like small cap value versus the S&P over the the past 100 years, basically. I, I love the two funds approach thing because you and I were all about simple. The reason is, is because a whole lot of people, they start to hear a lot of gobbledygook from in so-called investment experts, and they're recommended to, to stock their money away in 12, 14, 15 ETFs, and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even no. know what I'm buying. It, it, and it just over, it muddies, it muddies the, the water. And so know, oftentimes, it, it overcomplicates oftentimes it. what happens is they walk away from that meeting and they don't do anything. And yeah. that is part of our reason. And then folks end up going, turning to advisors and they're paying out the no's. But yes, that is better than than not investing at all. Sure. But there is a simple path. A forward. simple way. And so mm-hmm. that's why we we've always talked about like that simple index fund strategy approach for people in the wealth building phase of their life. And this, I feel like this two fund strategy really helps keep it simple for DIY investors yeah. while adding some some potential upside benefit from from returns right over the years. Sure. So I I love and I think it historically better returns right. than something like just moving forward with a total stock market index yeah. fund or even the S and P. Well, and fund. and it makes it easier than when you're in the drawdown phase of your life too, like he talked about towards the end. So, but I love too what he said about the the first five years of investing can be the equivalent of 40% of what you live on in retirement. And so that idea of consumption smoothing, you and I have kind of taken it to task multiple times on the show because we just think it's the antithesis of the right behavioral moves to be making if you want to grow a significant nest egg for your future and to say, I'll get started 10, 15 years from now but will you? <laughs> will you actually? And so uh, I think that knowing that those first five, first five years are so important, that's why I'm so energized when I hear listeners who are in their their teens and 20s getting started because I'm saying, man, after it. that yeah. head start is going gonna, is gonna to catapult you above the rest. And it's going to make it actually so much easier in, in future years when your expenses grow. Uh, and let's say maybe you start a family or something like that. Um, it, it, just having done it, being an investor, doing it consistently over a longer period of time is going to be better. You're going to be better off in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say, um, I don't have as much wisdom as Paul does, right? Uh, but that being said, every season of life that I've entered into, I am so glad that we saved as much as we did early on. Yes. Every year that passes, I want to spend a little bit more money than I used to. I don't want to rein that spending in necessarily because like you said, we've started a family and there's just other experiences. Even if you don't have kids, do do you not now want to, in your late 30s, start doing a little more traveling with your significant other or your spouse? The ability and the flexibility that you have to live life a little more on your own terms. Even let's forget travel. Let's just say uh, what you're saying yes to when it comes to your job or your career. It just opens up so many opportunities to you. And that is so incredibly valuable. Well, and what's the biggest risk? There's the occasional person that's like hardcore in the fire crowd that says, oh man, I I save too much. That is is not the majority. That is the rare exception. (laughs) That is the rare exception. And we don't want you to be that person either because we want you to be balanced and enjoy spending things on, uh, enjoy spending money on the things you care about in the here and now also. Which is why we quite literally put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. I almost said that when you, you said that earlier <laughs> and I cut myself from interrupting you <laughs> uh, because we are drinking a beer during this episode. Quite fittingly, actually, we're enjoying a discipline 
This is a double by Bold Monk. Uh, what were your thoughts on yeah. this beer? And not a double IPA, a uh, Dubel, du- like in, yeah, the, in the Belgian sense, that's right? They, that's how the Belgians say which, it. Which is kind of like a light brown with some of those Belgian yeasts and spices. I thought this was but a... Pr- but pretty light on the spices, light. I would say. Yeah. But this is a great representation of a Dubel. And so if you're like trying to... And I don't know or if double. I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, yeah. But if, you, if you're <laughs> I into... I like to American, Americanize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, d- doubles, Dubels, and, uh, and quads are my favorite styles of belgian beers that well aside from the spontaneously fermented but i love a good quad too and and this is kind of like the lighter version of a quad it's got some of those notes going on but it's super accessible for lots yeah. of folks so I, I i really dug this one totally yeah think about a dubel as a european brown ale yeah uh, like in america we've got browns if you are looking for an exotic brown yeah. look to uh, the belgian shelf and pick your, pick yourself up a dubel maybe a little more refined too i don't know yeah. <laughs> i don't know maybe there's some there's some really good brown nice browns out there folks that's not a style that a a lot of American craft breweries have latched onto, though, interestingly enough. There's just fewer notes that you can draw out of it. A uh, good brown, though, like especially like an imperial brown, is now in October is an ideal uh, ideal beverage to be consuming. We need to find more of those yeah. for the rest of this year. But uh, we will include some of the different resources we mentioned during this episode up in our show notes. And yes, we will link to and post the telltale chart that Paul was referencing during our conversation. But you can find that up on the website at howtomoney.com. But buddy, that's going to be it for this one. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.